I do want to take just a moment to give you an update. As a month ago, we shared a uh, vision for Luke 4.18, and that was that we go and make disciples, that we help people know Christ personally, that we help people grow discipleship, that they grow in Christ, that we help them to show, which is allow your actions to come forth, not just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer of the word. And then for us to help people go, and that is missions, to go all over the world. Anything less than the globe, if you remember that, is a vision that's not of, of, of the Word. Because the Word says, go and make disciples of all nations. And in sharing that, one of the things that we talked about was that we are in a process of uh, paying our debt so that we can continue forward in the space that we need in order to continue on. Um, a month ago, we took up uh, pledges and, and different things, and so we are in a seven-month Joshua budget. And so I wanted to share with you, over the last month, we've received um, seventy-five. well, really, actually, $87,000 towards our Joshua, towards our payment of $1.6 And so I am super excited about that. We have six more months to go. We have pledged over two hundred, two hundred twenty-five plus thousand dollars that's been pledged towards Joshua. But I want you to know where we're at. We have six more months as we continue on in this process to pay that off that we may continue forward in getting the space that we need in order to continue to help people know, grow, show, and go. Remember, our heart is not just to, to pay off a debt so we can sit here and say, hey, we paid this off. Our heart is, is that we continue to grow and, and, and be that lighthouse in this city to give the space that's needed in order for us to continue to grow, uh, to no show, grow, no grow, show and go. I got it mixed up there. Today I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 2. As we start the Advent season, as many people have heard that word, actually tonight we have service and I'm going to teach on what is Advent. A lot of people have heard that word and they associate it with uh, different uh, denominations. But tonight I'm going to explain what Advent is and what it means and what it means to us as believers in Christ. Technically, Advent starts today. It's four weeks or the four Sundays prior to December 25th when we celebrate the birth of Jesus. As we approach December 25th, I want to begin this time to prepare our hearts to celebrate the birth of Christ. And today we're going to look at a, at a group of people that I've never preached a message on. And they had no clue when they were decorating out there what I was preaching on. But today I want to talk about the wise men. Today I want to take a moment and ask the Lord to show us spiritual truths of these men and what God did through them. And then ask the Lord to show us practical ways for us to place that into our life. I pray that every time that you come to church on Sunday morning and Wednesday night, that you see practical application. That's that growing portion of what we're all about. That practical application that we can put in our lives so that we will look more and more like Jesus every day. And so in Matthew chapter 2, before we read, let us pray and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us this morning. Lord, it is a joy and an honor to stand up here and to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray right now that you remove me out of the way and that you let the breath of God go forth in this place. 
Lord, we thank you for who you are. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and there is none like you, and we praise your holy name. Lord, this morning may it not be me who's speaking, but it may be you, so that our faith would rest on the breath of the living God that will last and stand forever. Lord, we love you, and we ask today that you meet with us this morning, and that as we leave, that we will leave different because we experienced we were with Jesus. For it's in your name. Amen. In Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 1 through 12, and then we're going to get started today. It says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east. And have come to worship him. i got to stop for a second. You've got to circle his star. I think that is so amazing. The star, his, capital H, his star. In verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him gathered together all the chief priests and scribes and the people, of the people. He inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For this is what has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly, he called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went their way, and the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and they worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. You know, this morning as I was sharing with my wife about this message, I'm, I, I just got to tell you, I'm super, super excited about this message today. Now, y'all may have not seen me excited before, but you're going to see me really excited today. And I am so excited about this message. I was, I was sharing with my wife and she said, well, well, since you're so excited, let's keep it to three points because there's only three wise men and I said oh well I will keep it to the amount of wise men and they think that there may have been 12 plus so I've got 12 plus points today for each of you Um, and since since we did take a few extra minutes earlier we may be a little late today but praise God it's the word of God and we're going to keep going right I only have four points today some of you are like praise the Lord as we look at the scripture the first thing that the Lord put on my heart was this In verse 1 and 2, it says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east, they arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? The Lord put on my heart, how did they know? How did they know? How did the Magi know to travel to Jerusalem, to travel to Bethlehem? How did they know where to go? Well, The scripture tells us, as we see here, and if you look at verse 2, when it says, 
who has been born king of the Jews, if you, most scriptures or most of your Bibles who have cross-references will show Micah chapter 5, verse 2 as one of those cross-references. The way that they knew was because they had the old manuscript. Somehow they had received the manuscript of the Old Testament. I'm not talking about the full Old Testament because we're still in the process when Daniel, when exile happened and Daniel went with the nation of Israel, he would have brought up until that point all that he had. The book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2, the book of Micah was written during the prophetical times to the southern kingdom when I ultimately tell people that they were telling them to ship up or, or shape up or ship out. They were telling them, hey, y'all need to either get your act together and get your eyes focused back on Jesus or you're going to basically be removed. And we know from the scripture, where were they removed to? They were removed and put into exile for 70 years. Where? In Babylon. And so when the nation of Israel goes, they would have taken with them pieces of the manuscript of the Old Testament, including some of the writings of Micah. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, which is quoted in Matthew chapter 1, it says, But as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah, for you one will go forth for me to be what? Ruler in Israel. Here we see that the scripture, the word of God, prophesied and predicted that Bethlehem is where the birth of Jesus would be. I was reading different articles about the prophecy of of the birth of Christ. And as I was reading these articles, they were talking about how many prophecies there were about Jesus. And they were given this unbelievable, just, just big number of what the probability of that happening was. I think it was like 10 to the 17th power. And so one person wrote it this way, for Jesus to fulfill every prophecy that was written about him would be like taking silver dollars, stacking them across the state of Texas, a few inches high, scrambling them up, putting a dot on one, and somebody walking somewhere in Texas and picking that one up. It is probability is impossible. But we serve a big, amazing God who knows all things. So what I want you to see is is that Daniel and the nation of Israel, the the, the prophets are speaking and, and, and they don't end up changing their ways. And so what takes place is they go into exile. And when they go into exile, we see three major characters, four major characters, Daniel. And then we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which was their pagan names. And they get over there. And I want you to see in, in Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, all of a sudden, uh, the king had a dream. And he was like, whoa, what's going on? I'm, uh, uh, I need to figure out what this dream means. And none of the people could interpret the dream. And so what did he say? He said, kill them all. Get rid of them. And guess who that included? Daniel. Daniel who they went to find to kill him, to take him to to be killed, he said, wait, hold up just a second. Why why are you killing these people? Well, they didn't interpret the dream. He said, "Well, well, let me have some time and pray to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let me have some time and pray to the true God of creation. And they, they gave him the time. And he prayed and he sought the Lord and the Lord gave him the vision. 
And so he speaks it to the king. And I want you to see in Daniel chapter 2, verse 46, it says this. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face. And he did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present to him offerings and, and fragrant incense. The king answered Daniel and said, surely your God is God of gods. Mm. And Lord of kings. Verse 48, it says, Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts. But then I want you to see it right here. And he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief perfect over all the what? Wise men. All of a sudden we have a man in a foreign land who's over all the wise men in that area. You say, David, did the wise men come from there? We don't know 100% sure. But let me tell you what we do know. A righteous man who stood for God in a pagan land had an effect on that land and that area for centuries to come. Because he stood and he said, hey, hold up. Let me share, the, let, me, let me talk to God. And, and Daniel chapter 2, incredible chapter, because then he sings a song of praise. He praises and thanks God for giving him that word. But here's what happened. Daniel is now over all the wise men. He's the one who, who I believe brought the manuscripts and the nation of Israel into that area. And the wise people of this land would have been able to now read and see and know what's been prophesied about the king of the Jews. So how did they know? They knew because a righteous man stood for God in a foreign land. The effects of a righteous man was so powerful and it wasn't about what Daniel did, it was about what God did through Daniel. And Daniel gave such incredible praise to God. We see in Micah chapter 5 verse 2 we see the the prophecy that that the birth would be in Bethlehem. In Daniel chapter 9, we're not going to read it, but verse 24 through 27, an incredible uh, prophecy. It's called the 70-week prophecy. How many of y'all know about it? A few people in here? It's a very difficult prophecy to understand because it says 70 weeks, and you've got to figure out what the 70 weeks are. But when you look at it, and you begin to understand it, in Daniel 9, God gives him a word, and he predicts, he, he prophesies when Jesus is coming. But here's the beautiful thing of all that. Daniel is the one who, who was writing this. Daniel, God giving it to him and speaking it, which means the one who's over the wise man or the wise men of the area, he's the one who's writing this prophecy. So how did they know? They knew because they had the word of God. Let me ask you this question. How much more do we have today than the wise men had? We have the whole Bible from front to cover, the Old and New Testament. We also have the Holy Spirit that dwells and lives inside of us. What an incredible journey that these wise men took for a year plus of time, all because of a prophecy. Let me ask you, what's the journey that you're on in your life? I've shared with you many times on Wednesday nights, because we're talking about the Word of God in spiritual warfare, that this is life and death to us. We have the full word of God. Are we hiding it in our heart? Do we know him? Do we know him? They also knew because they saw what I call a supernatural star. 
You know, there's a lot of things out there that want to try to figure out what the star was. And let me tell you what the star was. I believe the star was a miracle from God. And it may have even been the Shekinah glory of God shining down on His Son. But the supernatural star, and here it is in the night sky, showing that the birth of Jesus, Philippians 2, has taken place. So how did they know? They knew because they had the word of God. They knew because God gave them a supernatural sign in the sky. But isn't it interesting? If they knew, why didn't the religious people know? If they knew, why didn't the religious people know? Why didn't the religious people see this amazing star, maybe the Shekinah glory of God, shining down? They didn't know because they were seeking the wrong thing. They didn't know because they were seeking a conqueror. And they were seeking their own appetite. When you focus in on yourself and not the word of God. When you seek your own appetite and not the will of God. When you seek your own desires and not the desire of God. Let me tell you something, you'll miss it every time. They were focused and seeking the wrong thing. Let me ask you today, what are you seeking? Are you seeking the things of God? Or are you seeking the things of this world? And then you say, well, David, how in the world would they have missed possibly the Shekinah glory of God shining down? How would they have missed an incredible star in the night sky? I struggled with that. I was like, Lord, you're going to have to show me. I don't, how in the world would they miss that? Let me ask you a question. How many of you have seen the full moon rise? And it starts off, it looks like the sun is orange and it's like coming up and it's just this beautiful and then it gets right at the horizon. It's this massive orange globe. Just recently, for the first time, I got to see the moon rise over Mobile Bay because I was down in Coden area. And I was like, man, this is incredible. How have I not seen this? Man, now every time the full moon comes, I want to go down to Code Inn and see this moon rise. And if there's clouds in the skies, I'm like, Lord, you're going to have to split the skies. And you may say, David, I've never seen that before, but it happens all the time. And the reason is because you're not intentionally seeking it. If you're not intentionally seeking it and getting yourself in a position to see an incredible moonrise, you're not going to see it. Well, let me ask you this. Let's take it even further. What about an amazing sunset? I don't know about y'all, but Dolphin Island is known for its sunsets. I mean, it's beautiful down there. But you know how often I get to see a sunset in Dolphin Island? The only times I see a sunset in Dolphin Island is when I intentionally go and seek it out. You say, David, how in the world did the religious people miss this incredible star? Because they were not seeking the Lord. They weren't intentionally seeking out what God had spoken. They were seeking their own desires and their own ways. See, during that 400 year of silence period that happened before the, uh, Matthew chapter 1, Luke chapter 2, the, the 400 years, the Sadducees and Pharisees and, and, and the religious people had lifted themselves to this, this prominent position and the last thing they wanted was a king to show up that would make them bow 
They wanted to conquer. They wanted to be removed from any Roman or any type of, of control. And all of a sudden, Jesus was coming as a baby. See, the wise men knew the prophecy. The first thing I want you to know is that they knew because of the word of God. Because they read the Old Testament. The second thing I want you to see is, is that the wise men knew the prophecies and knowing moved them to action. Knowing moved them to action. So point number two is action. See, when they realized that the birth of the Messiah, the King of the Jews, was going to take place, they decided they're going on a journey. See, one of the reasons why we always, we always joke and say, listen, take your wise men and put them on the backside of the room because they're still on the journey, is that, is that they, they truly were on a long journey to get to the Christ, to the child. But here's the thing, they didn't send a messenger. They could have. They didn't send a Hallmark card. They personally said, I'm going to see the Messiah. I'm going to worship. They didn't do anything but get and, and on their, their camel or donkey or whatever it was in that time. And they began a journey because they knew that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords was there. Let me ask you this question. Does you or do you knowing, do you knowing Christ personally move you to action? Does it move you, does it push you to go and live for him and him alone? Does knowing him push you to growing in him? In the book of James, many of you know this scripture, it says this, but prove yourself doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. I mean, so many people, man, I've heard the word of God. I'm a Christian. Well, why doesn't your life look any different than it did before you claimed to be a Christian? When you know God intimately, when you know him personally, when he's changed your life from death to life, let me tell you something, action will come forth from your life. The fruit of the Spirit will come forth from your life. Let me just tell you that salvation has nothing to do with works. But after salvation, the Holy Spirit living in you will push you every day to do for the kingdom of God. I tell people all the time when we talk about go, it's not just going across the pond. It's not just going across to foreign countries. It's going right here in Mobile, Alabama first. Every day. James chapter 2 verse 17, it says, Even so faith, if it has no works, is dead. Is dead. You say, David, does that mean that your works is what gets you into heaven and salvation? No, what it means is, is that when Christ enters your life, there's no way that you're not going to have works in your life for the kingdom of God. Because you've been transformed. You once were dead and now you're alive. You know, this action that they had, we don't know exactly how long it took for the magi to travel, for the wise men to travel from where they came from to Jesus. But what we do know is that later in Matthew 2, King Herod said, kill all the children under two years old. Which tells us that it was somewhere up to two years worth of travel. What I personally believe is that it was probably nine months to a year 
because I think King Herod was so crazy that he said, well, if it was a year, let's make it two years. I want to make sure that this king of the Jews is gone. But let's just say it was a nine-month journey. If God told you today you're going to be on a nine-month journey, would you keep going to the end? Would you keep walking on that journey? I thought to myself, how many times do you think the Magi said, let's turn around? I mean, we've been going for a month. We've been going for two months. To be honest with you, I don't think they ever said that. You know why? Because they knew that they were going to worship the king. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6 speaks it so clearly for us. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are. And if we hold fast our confidence and boast of our hope firm until what? The end. In verse 14 of chapter 3, it says, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until when? The end. Hebrews 3 is telling us that as believers, we will hold fast to the end. We will continue running for the king to the end. We will continue the journey that God started on the day of salvation in our life. We will continue. Does that mean that sometimes in life we may take a detour? Absolutely. There's going to be times in our life where, where maybe you're in a, a prodigal season, but let me tell you something, every believer in Christ will always return to him. 100% of the time. So we see that they're they're knowing and, 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 and knowing Christ personally, it pushed them to action. My question to you is this, is does your knowing Christ personally as your Lord and Savior push you to action at your school? Does it push you to action at your workplace? Does it push you to action at, at the uh, supermarket or at Publix or wherever you go? I shared a couple weeks ago, maybe we need to intentionally bump into people at the supermarket. Instead of, I don't want anybody to look at me. Let's go. Hey, let me share with you about Jesus. I mean, he's changed my life. True salvation in Christ will move us to action. It's not behavior modification. It's soul transformation. And when our soul has been transformed by the king, there will be fruit. There will be action for from our life. But I want you to see something. Look at the response of King Herod. All right, so all of us know what happens in the story. Now, when I say story, I'm not talking about like a fictional story. This is true. This really took place. The Bible is the word of God. This took place. Many of us know, well, well, King Herod, you know, he had a bad motive. He wanted to kill Jesus. That's because we know hindsight, right? I mean, well, how do you say it? We know because we can read the whole story, and so we're reading it knowing the end. Okay? But I want you to look in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. At King Herod's response, not Luke, Matthew chapter 2, verse 8. It says, well, let's go back to verse 7. He says, then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time the star appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. Let me just say something to you. Remove your understanding of why you know that he wanted, he wanted to go worship. He didn't want to go worship him. What did he want to do? He wanted to go kill him. We know that. But just look at his response for a second. If he truly wanted to worship Jesus, he would have put his sandals on right then. 
If King Herod truly wanted to worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, he would not have sent them ahead and said, I'll catch up with you later. No, he would have said, I'm going to put my shoes on. I'm going with you. How often in this world do we hear people say, well, maybe some other day I'll, I'll, I'll come to Christ. Not now. Not now. Oh, I'm going to wait till later. They have zero desire to worship the king. If you truly desire to worship the king, you're going to put your sandals on right then and you're going to go with them. So we see King Herod's selfish, motivated response. If he really wanted to. If you truly want to worship the king, you will not say later. You will put your shoes on and you will go with them. But you know what's beautiful? It's because they knew there was action. And because there was action, they found and worshipped the king. So though King Herod, if he really wanted to worship, would have put his shoes on, he would have taken them off real quick once he got to the king. I want you to see in Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. It says, After hearing this, they went on their way, and the star which had been seen in the east went before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. In verse 10, it says, when they saw the star, now let me just stop there for a second. 49 people went with me uh, to Israel this past summer. And they got to go to Bethlehem. They got to go to the fields where they believed the shepherds were. They got to go to and see uh, just Bethlehem and, and, and where they say the birth of Christ is. All we know is that it was definitely in Bethlehem. But Bethlehem to Jerusalem is like Mobile to West Mobile, if not closer I mean, like, all of a sudden you blink and we're in Bethlehem. It was not that far of a drive. Now, granted, we were on a a motor coach, and they would have been on camels or donkeys or whatever. But it's interesting, and this is why I know it was a supernatural, possibly the Shekinah glory of God, is because if the star would have just been some just random star in the sky that was just something special, they could have seen it from Jerusalem. But it went ahead of them. Just a few miles, they get going, and all of a sudden they see the star again. And let me just show you their response. Oh, I love it. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. You know why? They knew they had found him. They knew that they were about to worship Jesus, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. I mean, they rejoiced. I mean, I'm like, I'm getting chills all over me right now. Like, they were excited because they were about, they had found Jesus. Let me ask you a question. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm just telling you what the Lord spoke to me this morning. How many of you were excited when you woke up this morning to come to church? Because you were going to go worship with the body of believers. Together worship the King. Man, they've been traveling for nine plus months. And they see the star over the child in Bethlehem. And they're like... We're here. The King of kings and the Lord of lords, he's here. The Messiah, the King of the Jews, he's here. And they just began to cheer louder than I think that than, than any type of sporting events they could have ever gone to. They were so excited because the Messiah was there. And verse 10, verse 11, it says, After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell on the ground, and what they do? They worshipped him. 
Do you realize this is grown wise men falling before a two or younger child? Grown wise men falling before a two-year-old or younger child. But they understood their place. They understood that they must surrender their life to Him. They understood that they realized that He was the King and they were not. So let me ask you this question. This Christmas season, this Advent season, are you willing to bow? Before a two-year-old who's the King of kings and Lord of lords. What a humbling statement. Now we know today that Jesus is now, he's not a little child anymore. He's coming back as, as truly a conquering king. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. There's none like him. But would we have the humility as the wise men to fall before a child so young? They worship. Worship was not about singing in this moment. They didn't like, they didn't begin to, to sing. What it was was a surrendering of who they were for who he is. Isn't that what God's called us to do with our lives? Isn't that what he's called us to do is to surrender our life to him? I want you to look at Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9 verse 23, it says this. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. Verse 24 and 25, many of you have this memorized. It says, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. What is it a man's profit if he gains the whole world but loses or forfeits himself? You know, in this moment, the wise men got it, but the religious people didn't. The religious people wanted to save their own life and livelihood. But the wise men and even the shepherds, they got it. They fell before and worshipped. It wasn't about a song. But listen, we worship in song. But we also worship with our life. Our whole life, Romans chapter 12, is a life of worship. Our life is about showing who Jesus is in us and what he's done through us. Our life as we live in action for the king, as we worship him every day and every moment and every second of our life. It's Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so when people see our life has been changed because we've had an encounter with the king, let me tell you what they see. They don't see us anymore. They see Jesus. They see Jesus. The wise men in their worship, they gave what they had. They gave what they had in their worship. They gave gold, which represented a king. They gave frankincense, which would represent the priest, because it was what they used to bring forth incense up in prayer. And then they gave myrrh, which would be the prophet, because it was an embalming portion of fluid or or, or things that they would use in the embalming process, which was prophesying the fact that he was coming to die. But praise God, three days later, Sunday was coming, and he walked forth. As we just sang a few minutes ago, he walked out of the grave. Matthew chapter 2, after coming into the house, they saw the child and Mary and his mother, and they fell to their ground and worshipped him. Let me just tell you something. 
when we come and encounter the king, all of our desires are removed completely. When we come into the presence of Jehovah, when we come into the presence of the king, when we come into the presence of the great I am, let me tell you something, we fall on our face and we worship him and him alone. Though the wise men gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh, I believe today, I know for a fact, according to the word of God, that God has called us to give our life to him. All we have to give is our life, and it's dead. It's but filthy rags. But when we give our life to Christ, and we let him be the Lord and the Savior of our life, let me tell you what takes place. He makes us alive for his kingdom and for his glory. So they knew It pushed them to action. They worshipped. And here's the last point. They left differently. They left a different way. Now many of you know physically they left a different way. Verse 12, it says this, And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left their own country by another way. Can I just, just take a moment and just tell you this? Herod, when he was trying to tell them, hey, you know, come back, I want to worship, but he really didn't want to worship, he wanted to kill him. Can I just tell you, God knows the hearts of all people. Go back to Psalms 139, it talks about it. Herod couldn't put one over on God. He couldn't be like, well, come back and tell me so I can go worship. God knew exactly, and so God showed up, and he spoke to them, and he said, hey, in a dream, he said, hey, listen, I want you to go a totally different way back, and don't go back to Herod. When you go before the king, and when you worship the king, and when you truly accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, he dwells in your heart, let me tell you something, you'll never be the same. In this moment, they physically go a different way. But let me just tell you something. They left different. Because they had encountered the king. They had worshipped. They had surrendered. They had given what they had to the king. And they left totally different. Let me tell you something, church. When we encounter the king, when the king enters our life and lives through us, our life will radically be different from that point on. Because Jesus lives, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. It changes our life completely. It's no longer my life, but it's His life. I don't live for myself anymore. My will has been pushed aside. And it's God's will that I live for from this point on. It's no longer my desire. It's no longer my appetite. It's no longer my will. Now I'm a bondservant of Christ and I've been bought with a price and I'll never be the same. Do you know him? Are you on a journey for him? Is there action in your life? Are you worshiping God every day? Are you worshiping yourself? And has your life truly been marked in a way that you can never be the same ever again? I want to close with this. I've heard many people say and talk about the wise men. There's a lot of traditions out there and different things and we three kings of Orientai and all this stuff. But today, I want to just go back to the Word of God and just let it rest on our hearts and show us the practical things that He speaks through this story. But I want you to know this today. 
I saw this not too long ago and I believe it with all my heart. Wise men sought him. The religious people did not. Wise men still seek him today. 